There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, coming to you from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. If you are a regular listener of the Tim McKernan Show, you know the program, but I'm happy to reestablish the program. Every Sunday night, Monday morning, we release a new interview. This week's interview is Franco Pinion, the host of the uh, more, I'm the host of the uh, afternoon show, I should say. I'm the host of the morning show. I just have my head up my ass. The host of the afternoon show here on uh, 590 The Fan, KFNS. And uh, coming up, uh, we have uh, John Kelly next week, blues broadcaster. And uh, then on, in the middle of the week, we do these questions from the audience where listeners submit questions uh, really at any time. It's not like you got to do it on a particular day. Just if anything pops into your head, email me, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. And now with football season underway, we do pick six where producer Joe, former producer of the Ryan Kelly Morning After, and uh, our new co-host on pick six, G-Unit, and I pick six games. We always will pick the Missouri game when they're playing. And then four games we really like and one lock. That comes out on Thursday afternoons. And last last year it was horrible. First off, Joe and I were picking games that we didn't give a shit about most of the time and therefore didn't really have a strong feeling, but they were the three biggest college games and the three biggest NFL games and then a lock. And so this week, crediting or this year, crediting Gangster Pete, he said, well, why don't you pick games you actually really like? That has value to the listener. Seems like a pretty basic idea. It just shows how shitty of a leader I am. And so we instituted that, and now I might have to encourage people to listen because uh, I went 4-1. and one. My lock, which was Nebraska minus 26 against Akron, was rained out. Don't have that happen a lot. Uh, so uh, nothing there. So only five games for me. Went 4-1. and one. Producer Joe went 5-1. and one. And maybe you kind of block out G-Unit until he gets his bearings because he went 1-5. and five. But uh, it's all there for you. And, uh, and, and it's something, uh, that I would recommend. I like the content that we're building up here. Plus we're looking at doing some more video content with inside STL. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that suggestions for videos, you'd like to see, we're looking at doing Facebook lives, periscopes, Instagrams. I'm always just chomping at the bit to do more. And, uh, with gangster Pete on board and with the audience activated by the ideas of doing more, um, I always like people's feedback, what they like, what they don't like. So never hesitate to email me at T McKernan at inside Plus, by the way, uh, we're talking about redesigning, rebuilding inside STL.com and then also an app. And so if you, uh, would have somebody or are somebody who would like to do that, email gangster Pete at Pete icolds at gmail.com. That's P-E-T-E-E-I-C-H-H-O-L-Z at gmail.com. Gangster Pete is uh, leading the charge. So uh, there is what we have for you here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I like uh, the content that we now have with three podcasts per week. All of our sponsors uh, are the ones that if you are grateful for the content, please support them. Uh, and Mark Hanna is our uh, guest presenting sponsor and he is with Evergreen Wealth 
strategies. And uh, for the last month or two since Mark has been on board with the Tim McKernan Show, I've been talking to our listeners and talking to you specifically about how I really, truly screwed up my money management in my 20s and 30s in, in, in to the point that, you know, it's something that, that legitimately bothers me um, because it didn't have to be this way. You know, when I left the University of Missouri, uh, I remember heading to my first TV job in Little Rock and I had like $5,000 in credit card debt, $5,000 in credit card debt. Now it would be a big deal. But when you're 22, it feels like a million dollars, like you'll never get out of that hole. And, um, and so the way I operated is I just, I spent a lot of what I made, which was just in hindsight, you look back on the, Oh, what was I doing? But I would meet with people about, uh, you know, investing or 401ks and I can be like, Oh, whatever, you know, I mean, that'll never, that'll never be something I'm worried about. And it's just short sighted. And I get it. Listen, you're in your twenties right now. You're going, yeah, it's just not a concern of mine. And I don't know how I can get the message across, not to say, listen, you need to pay attention to what's going to happen when you're 65 or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. But just setting aside something is so smart in your 20s because it compounds and it gives you such a nice base to work from as you get into your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And that would be my my counsel on it. And, and what you need is somebody who can point you in the right direction and that's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. If I had Mark back in my early 20s, I'd be in a much better place now at 41 than I am. Um, and that's on me. That's not to blame anybody. But here I am presenting to you somebody who I can recommend. And the other thing is, I think part of the stress for people is I read books on, you know, whether it be entrepreneurial ventures or just, you know, getting essentially getting things done, as blunt as that is beginning the process of getting things done. And one of those steps is simply getting organized. And Mark helps you with that. Um, he knows what you need. You might just walk in, here's a bunch of stuff that I have, and then they'll they'll take care of it from there. And to have somebody be able to do that, that puts your mind at ease. I think it helps reduce anxiety, plus it puts you on the right path for your both short-term and long-term financial interests. Uh, Mark is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. They're online at evergreenstl.com. Give him a call. I'm telling you this, if there was some way I could do it, here's another bad financial decision for you. I would guarantee you with like my own money that you're going to be happy you made the call. Now I can't do that, but I would do that. That's how confident I am when I recommend Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. 314-889-0503. or go online at Evergreen stl.com. His goal is to understand you, understand your situation, and help figure out your options for you. 314-889-0503. Make that call. And I'm telling you, if you're not happy that you made that phone call after about a week, I'd be shocked. That's how much uh, faith I have in what Mark uh, does for our listeners. So questions from the audience or questions that are submitted uh, via email at tmckernan at insidestl.com or on the fan page. It's the TMA fan page on Facebook. I uh, highly recommend uh, joining that. It is its content all day long. And uh, let me take a look. We have like 6,700, 6,800 members on there. And, uh, and, I, and I do my best on the TMA fan page to uh, get rid of the bots uh, or to not let bots in. If I let bots in, we'd have like 20,000 members. But I, And that's what... I think keeps people coming back and why the thing continues to, to grow. 
Uh, so join that. It's the TMA fan page. Look for the one uh, with about, let's see, what 6,695 is the exact number as I record this today. And you can submit questions uh, there as well. But if you want privacy, you'll get your privacy at tmckernan at insidestl.com. And I like this because it gives me a chance to, to address whatever questions may be on the mind of the people listening. I, I, I'll, I'll take them all. Uh, I enjoy them all. They can be about business. They can be about uh, sports, national sports, local sports. Uh, I enjoy a great sexual discussion, political, religion, whatever. Anything is welcome. And if I'm like, oh, I can't get into that or I shouldn't get into that for legal reasons, then I just won't get into it. But you have nothing to lose by firing the bullet. So uh, please don't hesitate to do so. So let me take a gander. We'll start today's uh, one on the uh, the TMA fan page because I feel like I've been leaning on the emails more than not, and I don't want people to stop submitting them on the fan page. Uh, so let's start with this one. Uh, have you ever regretted something you said or did during an interview? Uh, it's a good question, um, and I I you know I started doing interviews about. I mean, I'm sure I did them in the mid-90s, I guess, but where I would count them in my career about two decades ago at this point, which is really fucked up when I think about that. Because uh, it doesn't feel like 20 years. When you're like eight years old, 20 years feels like 100 years, and then you're 41, and 20 years feels like five years. So to think that it's been nearly 20 years since my first full-time television job in Little Rock, Arkansas, KTHV-TV, is weird because I was 22 uh, when I started there. So, you know, I think about that and and it's weird to take myself back to it, which is where one of the, I don't know if I would call it regrets, but I just look at things that I did and I would certainly not do now. Uh, so I'll go back to SEC media days, which at the time, and I guess that's July of 1999, I started there. My first day at KTHV TV in Little Rock was... Uh, July 5th of 1999, and I was lucky enough to, I think I left because I got a job here in St. Louis as a weekend anchor and reporter at KMOV uh, in like March of 2000. So I was not there very long, uh, even though I wasn't there very long, still nearly 20 years later, it does feel like I was there uh, for, you know, five years. So with that all said, uh, SEC Media Days now are a huge thing here locally for someone from St. Louis, um, a big 12 guy at the time. And the big 12 was only a few years old at that time. And Missouri football being pretty subpar, uh, although it did have two damn good years in 97 and 98. Um, you know, just college football wasn't a part of the sports scene then as it is now. And certainly, and I'm talking about in St. Louis, and then certainly nothing compared to what it was like when I experienced Arkansas football, which was good that year, um, but not at the level of what we say, see, for example, with what's going on in, in Tuscaloosa the last decade. But they did go to the Cotton Bowl and they beat Texas the year I was there. So, um, And they beat the defending national champion uh, Tennessee uh, in Fayetteville that year. So they were a, a very good team, and so I was our sports director at KTHV TV. Uh, was let go about a month in to me starting there, and and, and when I look back on it, 
you know, I went there and I guess I thought, I just, you know, I mean, you look back on things in your career and you go, what in the hell? You should just know better. But I, on this one, I'm 22 and it's my first job. So I can give myself the benefit of the doubt. There's plenty of other things I look at and go, my God, you should know better. But he was let go about a month in and I look back on it and I go, I was the number three guy, which means I would have never really been anchoring. And if there was something that I guess I was probably hired for and the thing that I had a, a positive career tra trajectory for, it was my ability to anchor. And I took a job where I wasn't going to be anchoring much. Um, and I had a job opportunity in Monterey, California, as Rich Gould noted in the podcast interview when he was with us and couldn't believe that I chose Arkansas over one of the most beautiful places in all of the United States. Um, but I didn't have a contract and I liked that. I didn't want to have a contract and, um, and it, and it, and what I was going to pay in Monterey was so little relative to what you need to live to, to live in that area. So I chose little rock. Um, even though the Monterey job now looking back on it would have certainly been much more anchoring and they fire the sports director. And so they send me the number three guy and the number three guy in Little Rock was a lot different than being the number three guy in St. Louis at that time, because you're, you're more like a photographer slash reporter. But when you would report, you would have to shoot your own stuff. And in 2018, you'll see a lot of guys, you'll even see Frank Cusimano, for example, shooting his own stuff. But the cameras that are being used now are like, like little handheld five pound cameras. We were carrying around you know, I mean, these cameras had to be, I don't know, I would think in the 20 to 30 pound range, plus these monster tripods that would hold these 20 to 30 pound cameras. And so you're what they called one man banding it. And then that means you got to set up your own stand up and then focus it right and get yourself in the frame properly. And it was a whole thing. So I guess, even though I really liked the guy, the fact that this guy got let go uh, was a benefit and I didn't realize it at the time, but now looking back on it, I do. And so I went to SEC media days and they were in, I, I believe Birmingham, probably in the same spot where they are now. And, uh, and you know, I go down there and I'm just like, well, I mean, this is the South. I'm from, you know, Missouri and Missouri's, you know, just won the insight.com bowl. And I'm, you know, and you just have no idea, you know, like media days, who cares? And then you get there and you're like, man, this is a huge deal. This SEC media day is a huge deal, which I know I, it sounds so just flat out ignorant, but this is, this is somebody, you know, 22 years old coming from a big 12 school, college football, a punchline. I mean, I must've gone to maybe like 10 Missouri games the entire time I was there. Uh, and that's 94 through 98. So you're talking about five seasons. Um, and I had no idea how big it was. And so perhaps it was that ignorance that then led me to chasing down some people and conducting myself in a manner that I look back on and I go, oh my God, what was I doing? But uh, Houston Nutt was the head coach of Arkansas, a god at the time. He was an Arkansas native and the Razorbacks, and I believe it was his first year, were a an a play that in Arkansas they'll still talk about. For most of you listening, you probably know nothing about it, but they were leading Tennessee at Tennessee. Tennessee wound up winning the national championship that year. This was a year after Peyton Manning. They had T. Martin, who I think is probably going to be a head coach here soon, as uh, their quarterback, and Clint Sterner, who was the Arkansas quarterback, fumbled the ball in the rain, and Tennessee recovered. Otherwise, Arkansas was about to win in Knoxville, and they were undefeated at the time. 
And so it's a famous play in both Arkansas and Tennessee football history. And Clint Sterner's coming back. Anthony Lucas, who was his wide receiver, I think was a first-round draft pick of the Packers, was coming back. Um, Kanoi Kennedy was his hard-hitting safety. Along with Houston Nutt, they're there representing Arkansas. And my photographer and me, who I saw recently in Las Vegas, uh, he's a DJ now. He goes back and forth between Arkansas and in Las Vegas, it seems like, uh, you know, he's one of these photographers, which is great when you work with these guys who took real pride in how they would set up these interviews as opposed to, hey, let me grab you real quick. And it's a stick mic back and forth. And and, and it's kind of like if I were to do a podcast interview with somebody, it's, for example, over the phone, I, I prefer to do these interviews in the HomeLoanExpert.com studio because I feel like you get better interviews when they're sitting down with you. Um, and so if you just do a stick mic back and forth and if you usually, they, they can understand they're speaking in 15, 20 second sound bites, you're not going to get great stuff. So my photographer, as I call them, Trent, the friendly photographer, he, uh, set up like down the hallway of this hotel where the, the SEC media days were in 99, uh, this incredible setup, especially for little rock television, uh, where it was lit beautifully. And we would ask these, um, you know, in, in, in their world, huge stars, to walk, you know, I don't know, a few hundred yards away from the heart of the media days to then sit down and do one-on-ones with me, which again, when I look back on it, I'm like, what balls? But it wasn't balls. It was ignorance that I'm like, yeah, of course you want to sit down with me. I'm a big, fabulous star who works in Little Rock and I'm 22 years old and I don't know the first thing about, you know, SEC football. So I, I recall two things that I look back on now, and there are a few of these. And I actually will sometimes when I look back on these things, I will make an audible noise where I go, oh, that's what I do. I'll think sometimes it's personal relationships. Sometimes it's professional relationships. It's professional decisions. And I'll think about it and I will actually, it'll happen every once in a while. It's already happened a couple times this week. And I'll think like, oh, and, and, and that's what I think about when I think about my Houston Nut interview. Houston Nut. At the time, his trajectory in college football was skyrocketing, and he was he was a win in Knoxville away from probably playing for, at the very least, an SEC championship, and then the national championship. Like I said, Tennessee won the national championship that year, uh, and and they wound up losing, I think, the next week in Starkville. You know, it kind of compounded after the bad loss in Knoxville. Either way, this guy is a god in his state, and, and you know, and I say to him, and I remember doing my live show. It's just embarrassing. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I'm even sharing the story, even though it's, I'm two decades removed from it. But I remember saying to him something along the lines of, when I look at you and what you're doing here, it reminds me of what Larry Smith is doing at Missouri. And, and I, remember, I remember the look on his face like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, and, it's, and that's not a shot at Larry Smith in Missouri because what Missouri had done was legitimately impressive. I know it's not up there with, like, the 2007 team or the 2013 team, but the Missouri team in 1998 at Corby Jones, and they, they had to play at Ohio State. They had to play um, at Nebraska. They had to play at Texas A&M, all of which I believe were top 10 teams when they played, and they were winning every game in 98 at halftime. Now they didn't win every game, but they did, and they wound up beating Mark Bulger in, uh, in West Virginia, in uh, in Arizona in the Insight.com poll. So they were a good team, but 
they weren't, you know, I mean, they weren't in the mix to win the Big 12 championship. And they did, you know, just play in the Insight.com Bowl. And, you know, I think they had four losses or something like that. I mean, I'm talking to a guy, and, and it's not like Larry Smith's era was like a resounding success. Uh, he was let go, you know, what, two years later. And so I remember that saying that to Houston. And I remember the look on his face. And he, and, he, and he answered the question politely. He's a nice guy. Uh, but I just, I remember saying that and I remember thinking to myself, wow, he just didn't get my comparison. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, you didn't get what the fuck you were doing, you idiot. And then, then I think later on that afternoon or perhaps the next day, Lou Holtz had returned to the SEC. He had taken a few years off after leaving Notre Dame and he took over South Carolina. And I remember my producers and news director at the TV station I was working at in Arkansas, in Little Rock, said, you got to get Lou Holtz because he used to coach at Arkansas. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm sure he does. He probably barely remembers that. What he, of course, remembers as an Irish Catholic from South City is his time at Notre Dame. He could care less about his time uh, at Arkansas, which, again, is absurdly ignorant. Uh, And so... I mean, I'm a reporter and I guess an anchor in, and this is Lou Holtz, but for what, I mean, what, I just, I just look back on it. I go, what was I doing? I mean, this is just so emasculating, but I did it and it makes me go, Ugh, but I did it. So I remember the boss says, you got to get Lou Holtz. Well, I mean, a few years later when I was working at KMOV and they go, well, you got to get Barry Bonds one-on-one. I go, yeah, good luck with that. I did it one time. It's not going to happen every time he comes to town. You got to get Bryce Harper one-on-one. I mean, these things, they just don't happen. But they set the bar for you, and then you put pressure on yourself. It's your first job. I'm less than a month into it. And so uh, Lou Holtz gets done with, like, his press conference thing that you see these coaches do. Like, they do a huge, you know, they answer all the questions. They don't do one-on-ones, or if they do, they do it with, like, Paul Feinbaum now. They don't do it with some dipshit from, you know, Little Rock, especially he's the coach of South Carolina. So he leaves, and he's escorted by, you know, the the usual college football henchman. And uh, he's walking out, and and I'm asking him to to do the interview, and he's just flat-out ignoring me. And I keep following, and I'm like, I'm like, this, I'm like, a, like what you see in a, uh, like when Hollywood portrays uh, the media in movies. It's always like thirty or forty reporters screaming at this person as they leave a courtroom or something like that, which is of course not how it really works, but that's how it's portrayed. But that's actually what I was doing, except it was me by myself with Lou Holtz. And here's the truth. And some of my friends were over at my parents' house this past weekend for the Notre Dame-Michigan game, and they saw it firsthand. This is a real thing. This is how fucking weird this is, but it's real. And it's still going on 20-plus years since Lou Holtz left Notre Dame because my dad's a huge Notre Dame fan, and my mom went there. Well, it wasn't co-ed when she went there, so St. Mary's is the school across from Notre Dame, and it's still there, but that was where uh, women went and, and men went to Notre Dame. Uh, I grew up in a Notre Dame household, and so for real, above our television, there was a picture of Lou Holtz autographed to my dad for his 40th birthday, and there were candles on either side of it, like like it's Buddha. And then, and then this is the one that's really weird. Still there is a picture of Bob Davey, as if he were somehow like, you know, Nick Saban. Bob Davey. You know, I mean, I think he's gone on to coach at like New Mexico or something like that after like calling... ESPN games that start at midnight. 
Bob Davies still up in our, my parents' living room. And so I, as Lou Holtz is ignoring me, I pull out the card of, I grew up a Notre Dame fan and my parents have your picture autographed above our television. And to think that I screamed this at the man as he's walking with the South Carolina henchman, I just, I like the, the lack of self-awareness is just appalling, but that's what I did. And that line is what got Lou Holtz to sit down and do a one-on-one interview with me, which when I look back on it is just asinine. And it wasn't a strategy. The strategy was, of course, he's going to do a one-on-one interview with me. The strategy then became when it was clear he had zero interest in doing the one-on-one interview, absolute desperation because in my mind, I'm not going to get keep my job if I don't get Lou Holtz one-on-one. When in reality, I'm sure the news director is like, there's no way Lou Holtz is doing a one-on-one with this 22-year-old punk, but we'll tell him we expect it. And he does it, and it's a one-on-one. It's lit beautifully, and Lou Holtz turns on the charm as he is one to do. I mean, once you get him going, he's great. And I send that back. Uh, and... But when I look back on it, I'm, I'm, I'm telling Houston Nutt, who's a win in Knoxville away from playing for the national championship, that he reminds me of Larry Smith. And again, this isn't a shot at Larry Smith. It's just a shot at my lack of self-awareness. And then I screamed to Lou Holtz that my parents have a picture of him autographed above our TV with candles on either side of it. And he had to think, this kid's crazy. I've got to do something. He's clearly not going to stop if he's going to say that. And he did it. So in one respect, I look back on that, I go, wow, you were a real dipshit. And then in the other ones, I go, God, I guess that's the game you got to play. It's like that desperate. It's like a salesman. My dad will always say the sale starts the first time I hear no. And I guess the sale began once Lou Holtz just ignored me like I was air, like I didn't even exist and then, I mean, just he finally like, just like, fine, I got to do it. This kid's not going to stop. I've got to do the damn interview. And as far as any embarrassing question with Lou Holtz, it couldn't be any more embarrassing than screaming out, my parents have an autographed picture of you on top of our television with candles on either side of it as my last grasp verbal reach to try and get this interview done. And I did get it done. Um, with Lou Holtz and with Houston Nutt, all while making a complete ass of myself. And I God only knows what I asked Clint Sterner about that fumble. I mean, I'm sure I asked him like 10 different questions about it and just like kept bringing up this miserable thing, you know, over and over again. It's like if I saw Nelson Cruz. Nelson, real quick, I know you're hitting 40 home runs this year, but let me take you back seven years to your positioning and misplay of David Freeze's ball over your head and just keep asking about it over and over again. Can't imagine it would really delight him, but that's what I did. And I guess it's good for the audience but I'm just like the sacrificial lamb, but not because I'm a, a, a pathetic uh, creature being taken advantage of. It's because I'm a pathetic creature who doesn't know any better on my own. But that's what happened. And, and as far as since then, because we're talking about now 19 years since then, you know, I'm, sh- I, I'm, I'm there's all kinds of them where you ask. I remember, and there's nothing funny about it at all. I remember the night of the Cardinals' first game. Uh, after Daryl Kyle had passed away, it was a Sunday night game at Wrigley Field, and I asked Tony Larusa, and as you can imagine, there were uh, media all over the place because uh, there was rumors that the Cardinals were going to postpone that game to have a funeral and a memorial service for Daryl Kyle, and I, I believe a Cardinal player had told me that, and I asked Tony that. And he said, I don't know anything about it. So either he knew or he didn't know anything about it and he just didn't want to say anything about it. So I followed up and said, well, so-and-so said that 
you are. And then he turned at me and he stared at me and just incinerated my soul and lit me up in front of God only knows how many reporters, because obviously it was a huge story with the Cardinal pitcher passing away the day beforehand and just dug in and lit my ass up. Uh, I don't feel like the question warranted that, but I suppose he did give me a warning by blowing off the question the first time, and it wasn't exactly a place where you press. Uh, I'm sure some of you listening can think of plenty of others that you would go, oh, you screwed that up. The thing that I always say about the, the because if, it, if, it, if an interviewee, as in the person getting asked the questions, lights up the reporter or the person asking the questions, the natural instinct for many in the audience is, oh, that was a shitty question. And I'm of the belief that realistically, the question is not uh, judged by the answer, um, if that makes sense. In other words, it's a re- that, that's so results-oriented. Because I can ask what I think is a great question, and the interviewee, especially one who is savvy, uh, might uh, intentionally shit on the question so as to discourage that reporter and future reporters from asking that question. I can pull a very obvious recent example for you. ESPN's Maria Taylor with Nick Saban asking about his two quarterbacks and uh, Nick Saban jumping her and attacking her for the question when the question was uh, totally reasonable. Um, But Nick Saban's tired of answering it and probably has a strategy behind not wanting to answer it. And so it puts... uh, it puts him on the offensive when in reality her question and her phrasing of the question, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I'm sure I've got, I'm sure I've got plenty of those uh, in my career, but th- that's, that stands out to me just cause I'll think back on it, it, it 20 years ago in, in Birmingham and go, God, what were you, what were you doing? You know, I mean, you know, I, I'll listen to, these aren't interviews, but occasionally I'll listen to old morning grind shows and I hear myself, and I'm just, oh, I'm just disgusted. I'm just like, what was I doing? I mean, I know I wasn't doing cocaine, but it sounds like I was doing cocaine. That's what it, it sounds like. I'm like hopped up on something and out of my mind. Um, so as your career goes on, you look back on things. But at the same time, the reason I was able to get a lot of these interviews when I first started out is because I just was like, I, I, I want to try and talk to these people. And I don't give a damn if they tell me no. And even if they tell me no once, I'm going to ask again. So... In that sense, it's uh, something I suppose I'm proud of, but pride would be illustrative of a strategy, whereas in reality, the result was the fruit of my ignorance. So I hope that gave you a, a good answer on the questions as to uh, what things I look back on and I uh, regret from my numerous uh, interviews, whether it be here or whether it be uh, elsewhere. All right. Other questions. Uh, I'm sure this is a question I could get answered elsewhere, but I'd like your perspective. I'll occasionally play poker with some friends and have thought it would be fun to buy in at a lower cost table next time I'm in Las Vegas. What would be the best way to play Hold'em in Las Vegas for the first time? And what things should I expect that I might not think of? Uh, that's from the fan page as well. Um, this one is much easier to answer. And I actually can provide, uh, some counsel on this from experience. Um, to play your game and not be intimidated by being in Las Vegas. I remember the first time I played a tournament in Las Vegas and it was like a, like a $50 buy-in at uh, like Harrah's 
you know, and considering I had won at times, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars online, uh, I was a fish at this time. Don't get me wrong, but I had been, you know, I had had big tournament. With, I was so nervous to play live poker uh, that I, I was like folding pocket tens pre-flop. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was a, it was gross. Um, and then, and now I look back on it because if I went and played that now, even though I don't play nearly as much as I used to, you know, I mean, I. I, I now know in in part or mainly from, I should say, playing like the World Series of Poker and, and not even the main event, although I've been lucky enough to play four or five of those. But even $1,500 buy-ins, the quality of play is so much at a higher level at those that if you look back on like like overvaluing the caliber of play of a player in a 30 or 50 or even $100 buy-in in Las Vegas just because you're in Las Vegas sets you up to lose. They are no better than what you would find at a casino in St. Louis. Um, now, you might not even have that thought enter your mind, but I had it enter mine, and it it caused me to just, it was, like I said, I was just getting grinded down with blinds and antes because I was so nervous. Like, oh my God, I'm going to play a poker tournament in Las Vegas. And I look back on it now, what the hell, who gives a damn? Um, so now having played a few main events and playing some world series events, I don't know when I'll get a chance to do that again. Now that we don't go out there nearly as much, we haven't been out there since our son's been born. Um, and I know my game is not even close to what it needs. It wasn't probably when I was playing in a much less now and how the game evolves, uh, to, to really be able to make a deep run via strategy. If the, the you know, the deck hits you in the face, well, then, you know, good luck. You're going to be able to run deep. Um, but from a strategic standpoint, to be able to hang with the great players, and you recognize, you can recognize within two orbits who can play and kind of what level they're playing at. And by that, I mean what what's their thought process? Are they three betting? By that, I mean re-raising pre-flop aggressively in position, probably doing it light. And by light, I mean without having great hands. Are they, you know, firing big bets, betting people off hands, winning without the best hand? Or are they somebody who plays like 5% of the pots and, you know, tight, and then all of a sudden they're raising in three bet, and you can get an idea where they are, and you can adjust accordingly. Uh, but at these, you know, what most likely are, relatively speaking, low buy-ins in Las Vegas, it doesn't matter what casino you're in, you know. I mean, it, it's the players are most of the time not, you know, not that great. And, you know, it, so my, my, my point is, play your game, and even if you're not that great of a player, you can still hang. Plus, the, if my memory serves, the blinds and annies go up pretty quickly, so you got to be aggressive, otherwise you'll get blinded out. It's not like the World Series of Poker where we have two-hour blind levels, and you start with like 30,000 chips and blinds are 100, 200 with no annies. I mean, you have two hours of 150 big blinds, so, you know, it's just so deep. So, you know, be willing. And I think most of the time, plus they're rebuys. So if you do get shipped in the first level, go back and rebuy in. And, and ideally, you have a better feel for, for the tournament field. And you've already taken one bullet. And, and now you won't be uh, as afraid to die as, as you would be the first time. That's the that, that's the thing that I regret when I did play. And I did play for a good amount of time. I, I In order to win at poker, you have to be ready to die. And it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually do it. Because inevitably... If you're not ready to die, the way you're probably going to get killed is when you're a mathematical favorite, and that actually is a more painful death than going, I just made a play, and to this guy's credit, he, he had to go in the tank and called me, and he made a great call, uh, or I got it in as a 55% favorite, and he called me, and I had a straight draw and a flush draw, 
or I was ahead when he called me and he had a straight draw flight, whatever it was, or I called him and he was on a draw. You know, that's that's the game. And I think if I would go back and play, I would play that way. At least I say I would, but I know that's the winning strategy is uh, is to be ready to die. I always would say it when I would play that, but then it becomes a different thing when you're like talking about playing in the main event on social media or on InsideSTL.com and people are following you. And you're like, oh, I just want to give him a sweat, so I'm going to fold my way into day three, which is what I did, I think, the last time I played. Maybe I was maybe like 14, 2014 or 2015. And I did, and, it's, and it is an accomplishment to get to day three. Um, but if you're folding your way in there, you're not really giving yourself a chance to win if you start day three with like 15 big blinds. So, um, yeah, it's just a weird thing. When you buy in for 10 grand, even if it's not your 10 grand, you feel really shitty if you bust out, you know, in the third hour. But, that's the way that you win. You build up a stack by being aggressive and it doesn't matter if it's a $10,000 buy-in. It doesn't matter if it's a $50 buy-in. That would be my recommendation because there are going to be a lot of people who are going to go, I'm just going to fold it and you can bully them around. And that's the way to play the game of no limit hold'em from my standpoint. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Matt asks the question, uh, ever think about completing your Mizzou degree? Semi-related, did you ever did take any business classes while there? Given how your career has evolved, those may have come in handy. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, certainly would respectfully say, of course, that's results-oriented. Uh, so, you know, I can't, I can't sweat myself for uh, not graduating or not taking business classes because you can only judge the information that you have in the moment. And... I was very comfortable once I got into the journalism school with essentially being done with going to school. And by that, I mean done going to classes. And I was right, which I, I, I knew what the logic was. I knew that if I had a 4.5 GPA, but a really shitty resume tape, and yes, they were on VHS tapes when I first started out, it didn't matter. It was all, all going to be about my, my, my tape, and that's all that mattered. So that's what I focused on. Um, and so I did not go to class. Uh, I was bored by it. It was irrelevant to what my career was. Um, I suppose it, in part, it was quite ignorant. The theme of this uh, questions from the audience today, because, um, that was operating on the supposition that I would be successful in broadcasting, which now having done it for 20 years, I realized was certainly, uh, unlikely and in 1996, when I got into the journalism school, there was absolutely no track record of broadcasting ability to make me think I was going to be successful. In other words, I had not done it. So why would I think I was going to be successful? I was just fucking arrogant. So if anything, we've continued that tradition now for 22 years. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it got, it just, it, it, it's one of those things. I don't know if it's viewed as important as it is. It was important as it was looked at in 98, which is the year I should have graduated from Missouri. Now, I don't know. Uh, for my business, it certainly obviously has zero bearing, but it's like one of those things, I guess when people want to try and take a shot, like they'll go, oh yeah, you're not a college graduate. I go, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been rough. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I guess like if you're, if you're pursuing a business degree or obviously wanting to go to law school or medical school, uh, you know, that, that just can be like, you know, minimum requirement bachelor's degree. I get it for, for what I was doing. And I knew I, if I'm not mistaken, Joe Buck did not graduate. Bob Costas did not graduate. And in so my mind, 
even though I didn't go, oh, well, I'm as good as Bob Costas. I'm as good as Joe Buck. Therefore, I don't need to graduate. I think I used it as a justification um, to not go to class. But the thought process of my resume reel dictating whether or not I would have a future in broadcasting as opposed to, um, you know, what I, my GPA would be and what I would graduate with, that actually was correct. But it just was very naive. It happened to be right. So regarding business classes, I didn't, I mean, I took classes my last couple of years there. I just didn't go to them at all. And I remember I took one, I took finance one, two, three, which literally that was the name of the class. And to think that there was a class like that, like that, like this is, I mean, this is a, a university. I think some people consider it to be a good school. I don't know where it is now. I have no idea. I don't, I don't really worry about it. Uh, I know the journalism school is highly regarded, but to think that a, they had a, a class at a college called finance one, two, three. I mean, that's like something like you take like in the lower level of high school, I would think. But I remember going up to the teacher, the teacher's aide and saying, listen, I'm, I'm just trying to knock out my, my, you know, whatever elective hours, I guess is what it was called. And I got to take this class. I won't be here. Uh, I'm taking it as pass fail. I don't really care, which again, what an asshole I was and am. But uh, I remember saying that and then I had no idea. And so I look back on that and I go, oh, that would have been helpful to know that because I look back at the start of Inside STL and how illiterate I was and perhaps still am. Uh, so if I, if I wasn't paying attention in finance one, two, three, I sure as hell wasn't paying attention in business classes. But because I was in a, you know, major that didn't require that. If anything, you had one math class in your entire time at the University of Missouri when you were in a journalism major. Uh, you know, I certainly wasn't uh, focusing on business classes. If you would have told me that seven years later I would uh, start a business, yes, I would have. Uh, first off, I would have been really surprised. But secondly, um, it would have made sense to uh, have some uh, business focus um, with my classes, but I did not. And, uh, and so it was just, I didn't go to class. I mean, and I look back on that and it's incredibly, um, embarrassing, but once again, that's kind of the theme of this, uh, of this podcast is my ignorance and irresponsibility. All right. Other, uh, questions I'll go into the email, but first I want to make sure that I tell you that if you are in the market to buy a home or if you are in the market to refinance, Ryan Kelly is the person at thehomeloanexpert.com. Uh, Ryan Kelly can get you out of credit card debt quick, fast, in a hurry. With home values as high as they are, and with interest rates as low as they are, it's the perfect storm for you to get a cash-out refi, pay off that credit card debt, start from zero, manage your money much more wisely, and get a much lower interest rate on that uh, home with uh, Ryan Kelly. You can do so by going to thehomeloanexpert.com. And if you're in the market to buy a home, you can do the exact same thing. It's really simple. If you want to buy a home or if you want to refinance, there's only one name to know, and it's Ryan Kelly online at thehomeloanexpert.com. A great guy who you may have heard here on the Tim McKernan Show telling his business story. And when you hear him tell his business story, it becomes very clear just how smart he is uh, and uh, how hard of a worker he is. And that is why it is so easy to recommend Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team to you, our listeners. All right, a couple of email questions that are in, uh, and I will go to this one. It's from the Tadalian Stallion. 
Uh, if you had to allot your fandom of sports teams, both pro and college, into 100 units, how would you dis- distribute your distribute 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 perfect your shares? For example, if you only cheered for the Blues and Cardinals and liked them equally, you would give them 50 shares each. I really like this question. Uh, and I have to think about it as I answer the question. It was just submitted here within the last, oh, I'm looking at the clock, hour and 40 minutes. Um, it's weird because the reason why I do this stuff is the Cardinals, my love of the Cardinals. Um, but because I have been lucky enough, as I would imagine all of you who are listening have at least witnessed, now you might not be a Cardinal fan, so you wouldn't consider yourself lucky enough, although I'm sure the vast majority of you are, to witness two world championships, I still would say the vast majority of my shares would go to the Cardinals, but it's it's not like something that existed really even more so up until 2004, because from 88 through 2003, the Cardinals didn't go to a World Series. And now we've been lucky enough here, again, assuming you're a Cardinal fan, to see four World Series since 2004. So in the same amount of time, or actually less amount of time, that the Cardinals didn't go to the World Series, 87, 04, 17 years, here in 13 years, and really less than that, in nine years, the Cardinals went to a World Series. Um, And you could make the case that the two that they won, they shouldn't have won, and the two that they lost, they shouldn't have lost. Um, I realize it sounds weird when you get swept to say you shouldn't have lost the series, but I think if the Cardinals are who the Cardinals were for the vast majority of 2004, and the Red Sox are who the Red Sox were for the vast majority of 2004. Uh, the Cardinals win that World Series, but by the time they got to the World Series, their starting pitching was really a a mess. No Chris Carpenter, and, and the other starters kind of on fumes, uh, and the Red Sox were just fucking out of control after, after coming back from the 3-0 deficit to the Yankees. Uh, 2006, the Cardinals were such underdogs that uh, I remember there was one rider who said the Tigers in three and had Detroit not thrown the ball all over the place, maybe that thing would have been different. Uh, 2011, the Cardinals are, of course, a strike away from losing that World Series and win it in a year in which, you know, on, I remember specifically September 11th uh, because I was at the Rams game, of all things. The Rams played the Eagles. The Eagles were quarterbacked by Michael Vick. There was actually high hopes for the Rams coming off for the Rams, a decent 2010 season. And I wasn't even paying attention to the Cardinals' score. And I remember walking back. We lived downtown, walking back to our place and hearing cheers from Bush Stadium. And I go, oh, that's good. The Cardinals must have done something. Didn't even care. And 40 days later, they win the World Series. So that one was absurdly unlikely, much less the fact that you had to beat Roy Halladay in a game five to get there, beat the Brewers who won your division to get there, and then overcome a one strike uh, from being eliminated uh, situation twice to win game six, and then, of course, win game seven for the 11th World Championship. And then in 2013, I think a lot of Cardinal people would tell you that team was better. Um, But they just got shipped by the Red Sox again. So... Because they were in the NLCS in 11, 12, 13, 14, NLDS in 15 with a 100-win team, it hasn't gotten to the Atlanta Braves 90s and early 2000s levels as far as fans being spoiled. I really don't think so because I think Cardinal baseball is such a lifeblood for for the area, whereas Atlanta being a transient city, uh, the Braves just are never going to be able to get to the level the Cardinals are here, just like the Hawks, Falcons, and may they rest in peace, Thrashers. Uh 
you know, I don't, I don't think you can do that in a, in a transient city like what, what you have here in, uh, in St. Louis. Uh, although Atlanta, uh, United FC certainly has a, uh, a huge following down there, but so while I'm a bigger Cardinal fan than anything else, if you could ask me who I want to see win a championship more, it would be back and forth between the Blues winning the Stanley Cup and Missouri winning a college football national championship. Uh, now, 12 years ago, if you would have talked about Missouri winning a college football national championship, it, it would have been like, yeah, and you can be six foot five. I mean, it's, it just wasn't even on the radar. Uh, the Blues winning a Stanley Cup, you could feel like you could pick like 20 years, uh, 20 different seasons since the Monday Night Miracle in 86 to go, yeah, that team could have, and yeah, that team could have, and man, that team would have, but, and yeah, that team was really good, but then they all got the flu, and then yeah, that team, but Roman Turk let in a goal from the red line, and you know, you just pick all of your horror stories, whereas with Missouri football, it's just like, oh my God, Missouri's a win away from playing the national championship. Or you're walking out of Arrowhead Stadium in 2007, and, P- and Missouri fans are chanting, we're number one, and they're not doing it as, as a satire. Um, so, you know, if I were to allocate shares to answer the question, I got to answer the question. I guess, I guess the answer would be like what I'm a fan of, like a fan. Uh, I guess I'd go 40, 30, 30. 40 Cardinals, 30 Blues, 30 Missouri football. I think 15 years ago, I would have allocated some equity to uh, Missouri basketball. I'm just so detached from college basketball now. Uh, certainly if Missouri, and then recently we've seen some teams with Jim Cruz and Rick Majerus make runs for St. Louis University. If and when they get in that spot, then I get into it. But your attachment to players in college basketball is so low with the turnover, whether it be because the great ones leave after a year or there's all these transfers, the coaches leave so quickly. It's just a, it's just something that I have a tough time getting emotionally invested in. Um, but, you know, as far as wanting to see, because if you said, okay, you can have one or the other, a blue Stanley Cup or a Missouri, you know, college football playoff championship, uh, I don't know on that one. But for what it would mean to people close to me, and listeners of this podcast, I would imagine the vast majority. I mean, there are people, and I've said it before. Who did I say it to recently? Had to be somebody associated with the Blues. We did a, oh, John Kelly, the podcast that's going to air here in a few days. What it would mean, it, it, it would be Red Soxian in 2004 or Cubsian in 2016. Uh, you saw it to an extent with the Eagles here earlier this year. Uh, because the NHL is, is, you know, I know this can upset some hockey fans, but if we're being honest, you know, fourth uh, when it comes to pro sports in, in the United States at this moment. And I'm not saying that's where it will always be, but I think we'll, if we're being honest, that's where we would put it. Uh, it doesn't have the same cachet as what the Red Sox were dealing with and the Cubs were dealing with. But, um, you know, the Blues have this passionate fan base and the emotion for so many of those people who are fans and then also people like a Bobby Plager or Kelly Chase and all the alumni, that would be an incredible, incredible moment. I really want to see that. Um, so I'll go 40, 30, 30. Um, but I hope that helps explain it. Really. The answer is probably more, uh, 39, 30, 30, cause I have to give equity to my fantasy team, uh, the South side seaman, 
I know a lot of you don't follow the South Side Seaman, but we've we've overcome adversity this year as well. And uh, to be in the position that we're in here in the playoffs, I hope that inspires some of you. So I'm going to give one percent to the South Side Seaman and uh, and everything that we do, and of course my DraftKings teams, which uh, really, when it gets down to it, is where my money is on uh, on Sundays these days. I want to thank James Carlton for sponsoring the podcast. We're approaching our first anniversary of the podcast, and James Carlton has been on board with the podcast from the very, very beginning, and I'm very glad that he is because, first off, we love having sponsors on the podcast, but secondly, now that I've gotten to know him, I'm like, man, this is the guy. The questions have been answered as to who my insurance agent is going to be. It's James Carlton. I am uh, so impressed with the work he does, the way he operates his business. This is the person you want to be in business with. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's an open and shut situation. It's so nice when, when the people who are sponsoring shows or people that I go, oh, even if they weren't sponsoring shows, I'd be in business with them. And that's where Mark Hanna falls in. Uh, that's where Ryan Kelly falls in. And that's where James Carlton falls in. His number is 314-961-4800. He is a state farm insurance agent. He is based out of Webster Groves. He is online at carltoninsurance.net. Check out the reviews that he gets. Uh, the Google reviews, the Facebook reviews, people rave about him. People rave about his staff, and there is a reason for it, because they do phenomenal work with their customer service. Uh, and I don't hesitate to recommend them to you. They do all the work for you if you want to make the switch, and I really would recommend making the switch. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net, whether it be for home, auto, life insurance. They can do it all, and you won't be sitting there going, well, I reached out to my insurance agent. Hope he gets back to me. Hope she gets back to me. That's, that is that is not happening with James Carlton. I can assure you of that. Uh, for my money, uh, if I could buy stock, in a business, I would buy stock in James Carlton, what he's doing with the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Online at carltoninsurance.net. I also want to thank Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Online at landoff.com and at I-270 and the Washington Elizabeth exit. Uh, I've gotten to know the Landoff family here over the last couple of years. And uh, just so impressed with not only the way that they do business, but also the family style of uh, atmosphere that they have. When you're out at Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, the caliber of service, uh, you know, I've, I've had a couple people who work with me on the show and they had issues with their car and there's Sam Landoff texting me and saying, Hey, you know, I know he didn't get it from us, but let me, let me, you know, send somebody out to take care of it. That's just, that's just good business. That's who you'd be in business with. It's Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at, uh, I-270 and Washington Elizabeth are online at Landoff.com. Thank you to everyone, as always, for sending in your questions. Please feel free to do so anytime. I enjoy answering them. Uh, QFTA. Uh, maybe we'll have a, uh, uh, I don't know what the right term would be. Uh, for lack of a better term, I'll just call it a sexual theme because I have a few questions, but I felt like I might, I might, I might go into like a, a three-hour answer on some of these. Uh, so if you have those Feel free to fire away. A couple are in here, and I didn't. I didn't want to go on my 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 inner my kind of a, a regretting interview questions or acting like an ass with Lou Holtz and Houston Nut to then. So your thoughts on the the less popular MFF? What's your experience there? But hey, uh, we can use that as a tease for our next questions from the audience. Always welcome to send them in. T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Gangster Pete and Iggy for producing, and thank you to all of our sponsors. Mark Hanna, Ryan Kelly, Seth Goldcamp of Design Air, Heating and Cooling, James Carlton of the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet uh, for sponsoring it. 
Please listen and subscribe anytime. We've got some good stuff here with our interviews, with questions from the audience, and our Pick 6 podcast for your football wagering. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A do operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 328 23.